the whole reason why I started this Google Web Creators program is basically because of that. I think we need more diverse voices on the web that succeed. And this is super, super important to me. So a part of this is that we simply haven't helped the existing bloggers too, right? So as I called out, and we need to help them. But yeah, like the web story thing is just one of many things. It's like, if you are a non-technical creator today on the web, like where do you go to get help? Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at O'Reilly. Many of you know O'Reilly for their animal tech books and their conferences, but you may not know they have an online learning platform as well. The platform has all their books, all their videos, and all their conference talks. Plus, you can learn by doing with live online training courses and virtual conferences, certification practice exams, and interactive sandboxes and scenarios to practice coding alongside what you're learning. They cover a ton of technology topics, machine learning, AI, programming languages, DevOps, data science, cloud, containers, security, and even soft skills like business management and presentation skills. You name it, it is all in there. If you need to keep your team or yourself up to speed on their tech skills, then check out O'Reilly's online learning platform. Learn more and keep your team skills sharp at O'Reilly.com slash changelog. Again, O'Reilly.com slash changelog. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. If you haven't joined the JS Party community yet, what are you waiting for? It's a fun and welcoming place where you can discuss web dev, ask questions, get notified of live shows, and help make the podcast even more awesome. Just head to jsparty.fm slash community and sign up today. Okay, let's get into it. Hey, it's party time, y'all. Hello, JS Party people. We are so excited to be here with you today. It's my favorite topic, basically anything on the web. So I guess <laughs> I'm cheating. It's not, not really a favorite if like it includes everything that we talk about. <laughs> but um, we're really excited to have a very special guest with us today, Paul Bacchus. He's a developer advocate at Google working on the Web Creators Project, which we're going to learn all about today. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And also, coincidentally, this is also my favorite subject and topic. I know. There's a bunch of web lovers here. You're in good company. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that project should just be called Web Lovers instead of Web Creators. I, you know, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Just weird SEO results, potentially, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. Careful searching for that. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Farmers only? What? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Folks based in the US will maybe get that joke. On our panel today, we've got Nick. Nick Nisi. Welcome, Nick. Hoi hoi. Ahoy hoy. And of course, Jared. Hi, Jared. Hoi hoy. Ahoy hoy. Hey, you're stealing his tagline. <laughs> like copyright infringement here, you know? <laughs> I'm just here to cause trouble. All right. So today's show is gonna be about web creators. Some of you might be wondering, wow, web creators, that sounds super generic, ML. Like, what the hell? And you know, I agree. I have to wonder, since this project came out of Google and it's called Web Creators. What's the SEO story on that? I'm curious, Paul. Like, you know, if people are yeah. Googling web creators. That's a great question. Did Google have to like hard code something in the search algorithm to get that to pop up? 
months. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think we, we still have to work on that, to be honest. No, to be honest, I haven't considered SEO when I started the whole thing. I really thought more about the term blogger mm. and how like if you go to a high school class today and you ask them who wants to be a blogger, then you'll get like zero hands raised. <laughs> and so my idea here was to shift that, right? Mm. To say, look, actually, can we call this profession something that is a little bit more like in the zeitgeist maybe of high school kids that want to become creators? And that's really the reason behind this. Wow, that is super practical. And super German, I would expect nothing less from you, Paul. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Nobody wants to be a blogger. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it, they I mean, refer to it as influencer. Right. Web influencers. Yeah. Personally, I still find very cool. I think it's called something else now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, like, they kind of have the best jobs in the world, really. Like, you know, they just get to like push the world. I think it's really cool. We'll be talking about lots of pushes today, uh, like pushing to the web. So this web creator project is really about pushing to the web, right, Paul? Mm -hmm. And so can you tell us like, what is this about? We've got web stories, web creators, what's the what? Break it down for us. Yeah. So first of all, Google web creators, right? And the idea here is to, I would say, do something that we haven't done, but we should have done a long, long time ago, which is, <laughs> you know, we used to have this DevRel organization at Google, of course, and you have probably interacted with a lot of them, right? And we had that muscle for quite a while now. And yet that doesn't just solve the whole problem. And that's something that I realized a year or two ago where I realized, you know, in the 90s, maybe content creators and developers were kind of the same person, right? Like the person who would create a GeoCities page would also hand code it. Right. But then today, those audiences are very, very different often, right? Your typical WordPress blogger might not have the technical background to reach them with DevRel, to be frank. And this is kind of embarrassing, but we never had that outreach arm. We never had education for bloggers and for non-technical content creators out there. And also not just education, but sort of a relationship with them. Sure, we have Search Central and we have SEO guidance, but most of it is technical. We're not really helping people along content strategy around mental health for creators, right? Like there are so many topics that we could touch on, that we could work with people on, and we have never done this. So that's really the core idea behind this program. And now there's another aspect of this, which is bringing innovation back to content creation on the web. And, you know, I'm a developer advocate. I've been a developer for a long time. My first instinct when it comes to pushing the web is, oh, I want to be on the edge of web development, right? It's WebAssembly, or it's like something else that is super hot right now. And what does that do? Well, it means that the application web will become more and more popular. But what do we do about the part of the web that is the content web? How much innovation really was there in the last 20 years in the blogging space? Mm. I mean, I'm curious if you think so differently, but I think not so much. And I think we should fix that, to be honest. So that's kind of the quest I'm on. You're fighting the good fight, man. I mean, you know, we have this interesting problem on the web, which is the centralization of content. And, you know, everything's kind of being funneled through Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, right? So all this content is kind of owned and created and kind of stays within these, these walled gardens and isn't as easily accessible in the open web. And even if it is accessible in the open web, you're always getting prodded and tracked and asked to log in and whatever else. And it's, you know, not so great. So first of all, we're going to have lots of fun stuff in the show links. So everyone should like check this stuff out because it is super cool. I think the vibe around the education arc and the kind of rollout of this program is just super cool. So we're going to play some audio for y'all. Hope you enjoy it. Bloggers, journalists, editors, content marketers, fan artists, curators, activists. A diverse group on their own journeys. And yet they all have something in common. 
they all create on and for the web. But it's not the wide, wide web of the 90s anymore, where I could slap a bunch of counters and gifts together to satisfy my audience. Creating on the web has become more complicated, especially if you're not technical. Mobile users have higher expectations and less patience, and there's not a lot of guidance out there to help you on your journey. Which is super weird, right? Because the web is such a wonderful place. As the only truly open platform in the world with an estimated like 4 billion users, your own website allows you to own your audience, your content, and your monetization strategy. Whether you're a blogger, a journalist, or a small business on the web, we're all facing similar challenges and can probably learn a lot from each other. So if we're stronger together, why don't we have a shared identity? We're convinced we can help each other as fellow web creators. And at Google, we deeply care about the web and want to support you the best we can. Not just with developer and search guidance, but with a completely dedicated set of content, outreach, and social channels we call Google Web Creators. Become a member of our new community and follow us today across YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and naturally our blog. So come check us out for tips and tricks on how to make amazing web stories and then stick around to meet your fellow creators on Creator Spotlight and Power the Web. Ask us anything on Twitter or on YouTube. Participate in the office hours. Send us dope content you create. And most importantly, help us keep the web weird, diverse, and open. Let's, Let's do, this. do this. Yeah. Amen to a diverse, open, and weird web. And amen to any advertising that uses the word dope, like speaking to my heart. <laughs> I was way in, and then you said my content had to be dope. And I was like, dang it, all my content's lame. Can I still publish it on the web? I know. Yeah, my content's always mediocre, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about my mediocre content? Does that count? Right. Yeah, what's the relativity bar here? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't judge. You know, I'll take all the right. content. There you go. So is this a way, like you were saying, there hasn't been much innovation in this. And I think I agree. Like, it's not something that, I, that I've really thought about, you know, in the last 10, 15 years of all of this. But, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's platforms and the platforms have definitely innovated and new closed platforms have come out. But if you want to be a creator that wants to own everything, and not just, you know, post it to insert social media network here. Is that what this project is really? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, 50% of it, I would say yes. Okay. You know, there are two halves of this. The first one is to level with the current ecosystem of the web, right? To say, look, there are tons of amazing bloggers out there that honestly are not getting the support that they need from us. And they should be getting the support, right? We should celebrate them. We should encourage them to help them on their journey. And we're not. And we need to fix that. So... That's the first one, right? And the second one is, yes, there are a ton of what we call like modern creators, for the lack of a better term. But you know, like not that bloggers are not modern, it's just that creators that start on closed platforms and closed world gardens, right? Whether that's like a TikTok influencer or someone else, right? And yeah, we're also seeing a pattern here. There was an article recently in one of the big news publications around how a bunch of YouTubers have started to create their own websites mm -hmm. because it allows them more control to engage their most dedicated fans, right? Mm -hmm. And it makes complete sense. The problem with that approach is that right now it's freaking hard, right? It's really difficult to do that if you're just a one-person show. So these YouTubers were already very well-established, big YouTubers that had a whole team around them. Yeah. And so for the middle class of creators, it's still very, very difficult to get started on the web and, and translate what they've been doing to the web. So we're trying to help with that too. Yeah, so both of these. And it's hard in two ways. It's hard technically to pull off 
And it's hard to build an audience because your audience is over there watching YouTube all day. Yeah. And so you kind of need help in multiple facets of this thing. Otherwise, you have to go where the audience is, don't you? I guess that's true. Yeah. To be honest, I think it's not a zero-sum game either. So it's not like we're trying to shift everyone to the web exclusively. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, is also important to consider because even if you're a successful fashion blogger or food blogger today, then social media is going to be a big part of your strategy. We're not trying to say, like, stop your Instagram account and come to the web. Right? No, it's diversification that matters here, right? It's the same with the stock market. You're not just going to invest in one stock and be happy with that. If you're a smart broker, you will diversify your strategy there. Yeah, be in all the places. I mean, I shouldn't just go in on, all in on GameStop or? <laughs> Jared, bad retirement idea, okay? <laughs> bad, bad, bad planning. I got to go, guys. I got to go make some trades. So this idea of elevating the content creation game for folks putting stuff out onto the open web is really cool because what I'm seeing with web stories and this just general push for elevating the content is that we're bringing the experiences people expect. So the web being this link-based, search-based, like, you know, it's just a set of links that you click and you, you know, you have to scroll to navigate, et cetera. Um, that's not necessarily the same experience folks who are using, you know, native mobile apps are used to, right? They, they're used to swiping and all kinds of gesturing and all this kind of nuanced behavior that isn't necessarily native to the web yet. And I feel like you're kind of introducing this Instagram style content, these snippets of like little digestible bits of information that are for the modern, like modern user, really, right? It's for people who are used mm -hmm. to connecting on the web through their mobile phones. Yeah, It's such a duh thing, you know, that we're this late to the game on that. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, like there was this meme, you know, around stories and everything, right? Even the meme is already a couple of years old. And so we're definitely late to the show, but that's not the point. The point is really to figure out what works for consumers today and then bring that to the web and make it more webby. That's the really important thing, right? If you're creating a story on a closed walled garden app, good luck adding a link to that story, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then with web stories, you have that possibility. You can add links, you know, your content doesn't expire. But the crucial thing is that we're always trying to find that compromise that keeps the user experience the way that consumers demand it, and yet basically make it webby enough for the open web to sustain itself and for those creators to sustain themselves. I feel like we're generally misunderstood on this quest. <laughs> you know, we've been misunderstood about this intention with AMP before, <laughs> but it's kind of a hill that I'm willing to die on <laughs> because I really believe in the web and I want it to succeed. When you say open web, do you mean specifically not the closed gardens of your typical Facebooks, Instagrams, Twitters? those places. It's more like your own domain, your own host, things like that. That's right. And then adding these social features to that. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. I think there's also like a middle ground here. So, you know, whether something is open and closed is very interesting topic, maybe for an even longer podcast, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. But like there are, for instance, platforms like Medium. Mm -hmm. Is a Medium link on the open web? I would say yes. But there are certain aspects of openness that you don't get as a creator, right? Like right. monetization being one of them, for instance. And in YouTube, same thing, right? Like, so I'm not just calling out a single company. There's a spectrum of companies on the web that give you a hosting platform or something like this that restrain what you can do as a creator. And unfortunately, it's always this kind of compromise between complete freedom, but a lot of pain to set up <laughs> and basically renting a space, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to move in right away, but losing that control. And I wish it wasn't, right? That would be amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So to kind of summarize, this web creators project, is at least the first big thing that y'all are tackling is bringing web stories, which is a format of content to the open web. 
right? So that's what we're talking about here. And we'll, we'll get into the tooling and the how and the mm-hmm. deploy and the what as we go through the show. But to kind of set the stage for that context, you mentioned that... Um, Google even got criticized for the AMP and right all these initiatives to really just focus on what can we desperately do to like fight the native app mind share of the web experience, right? So how do we bring folks into the web through browsers and using open clients? This kind of battle Google has really, they've really been leading that effort in some ways, obviously, like there's a huge incentive for Google, right? Google sells ads, ads pay the bills, right? It's in Google's interest mm-hmm. that the web is stays healthy, vibrant, et cetera. So luckily, like the intentions are aligned with something good here. <laughs> I'm glad you're mentioning this, you know, because so many people come to me and like, what's in it for you? Like, why are you doing this i don't trust google like yeah why is google trying to do something good here there must be some <laughs> hidden intention here right <laughs> the fact is if you look at all the fortune 500 companies which company would suffer the most when open web goes away google for sure right <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure google's <laughs> top top of that list unfortunately yeah <laughs> so at least for me the motivations are clear here google's fortunate enough i think to have pretty talented people that i think can kind of execute on a lot of this stuff you know we've seen amp come out and be pretty successful and widely adopted. We've seen, you know, progressive web apps. We've seen, you know, performance metrics being set and right. So definitely like I'd say folks coming out of the Chromium-ish space are really, I think, kind of fighting the good fight for the health of the web and the open web, which is really great. Uh, obviously not folks from Mozilla and all other, other companies are doing the same. I just think that Google has the resources to really like push hard on quite a few things, but really like, how does this affect like social media apps? Not that I care personally, but I'm curious, like, <laughs> is there an interop story here that is going to be adopted? Like, can we make this better and, you know, set a standard for like, hey, actually maybe this stuff shouldn't be behind wall gardens and like all this content should be indexable and searchable on the web and whatever else. And I'm just curious if that's something that could happen. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. I mean, I think that's something for the social media apps to decide, but we're definitely trying to work with all of them to make sure that their content is indexable and and accessible. What I will say, I think social media has a role to play for a creator and will continue to have a role to play. And that is that audience connection and that audience building an audience. I think they can really work together well in tandem. I think the one missing link and pun intended is the fact that you cannot link to your website from most social media. And I think that's a big issue. So I wish the social platforms would be more responsible in that regard, to be honest. Yeah, true that. Well, in the next segment, we're going to dig into the hows. So how do we discover this content? How is it created? All that fun stuff. So be right back, kids. What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. For our listeners out there building applications with Square, if you haven't yet, you need to check out their API Explorer. It's an interactive interface you can use to build, view, and send HTTP requests that call Square APIs. API Explorer lets you test your requests using actual sandbox or production resources inside your account, such as customers, orders, and catalog objects. You can use the API Explorer to quickly populate sandbox or production resources in your account. Then you can interact with those new resources inside the seller dashboard. For example, if you use API 
explore to create a custom in your production or sandbox environment the customer is displayed in the production or sandbox seller dashboard. This tool is so powerful and will likely become your best friend when interacting with, testing, or playing with your applications inside Square. Check the show notes for links to the docs, the API Explorer, and the developer account signup page, or head to developer.squareup.com slash explore slash square to jump right in. Again, check for links in the show notes or head to developer.squareup.com slash explore slash square to play right now. So, web stories, how do we find them? How do we link to them? What is this thing? What's the story? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Paul? Mm-hmm. I was so excited about this topic. I totally forgot to tell everyone that you were one of the key instrumenter people that was involved with the AMP project. Mm-hmm. You've kind of moved on to this. So, it's really nice to see that. For folks who are wondering what AMP is, do you want to just give like a 30 second or 60 second summary and like what AMP is? Yeah. We've been mentioning it a lot. Sure. So, AMP stood for accelerated mobile pages. Now it's just AMP because we went beyond pages. You know, there's also emails and stories now and ads as well. And we also went beyond accelerated and mobile, right? It's also desktop and user experience in in general now. So it's a framework, essentially JavaScript library slash framework that has a bunch of restrictions and a validation aspect to it that ensures a pretty good experience. I think that's the most important thing to know about AMP. It's way more restrictive than building something from scratch, but it ensures a good experience. And it's meant for content. If you want to build the next calculator app, AMP is going to frustrate you to hell. But it is born out of the needs of publishers to help the needs of publishers. It actually came out of the digital news initiative where we work together with publishers to figure out solutions to help them stay afloat. They realized that it's super, super hard to build fast websites. And we're like, hmm, okay, we should do something about this. So that's what AMP is fundamentally. It's meant to be a compromise between the free for all wide, wide web that we're all used to and the very streamlined consumer experience that people demand in closed world gardens. I think it's always been criticized for that reason too, because finding that balance is super hard. And maybe we haven't gotten it right all the time, but that's what we've been striving for. One other thing that I would call out is that I'm still involved in AMP. The AMP DevRel team still reports to me. My personal focus right now is to scale up that new effort around web creators. Yeah, it's such a cool project. So AMP started out of Google in collaboration with all these publishers. And the project is now like open governance. Google has birthed it into the universe, so to say. Mm -hmm. But AMP had set a bunch of standards and did a lot of things that were unconventional and ruffled a few feathers. And so it was definitely controversial and still is, I would say, to some degree, right? There's still people that are like, you know, angry about it or whatever. Amped up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Amped up. So many. So many. What's the arc for this new kind of controversially, I don't know, not controversial, but like stories are this thing that Google has is able to uniquely surface. Mm-hmm. The, the content is indexable by all search engines. So can you kind of talk a little bit about that before we get into like how the hell these things are made? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So stories do have AMP underlying it. The technical foundation of stories is AMP. And there's a good reason for that. It's because AMP provides this kind of restrictive user experience framework. For instance, we wouldn't want to allow someone to make a web story that cannot be tapped, right? So let's say you put something on a page and it kind of hijacks the link clicks. That would be really bad. And so even beyond the page framework, we need to, with web stories, really encourage people to keep with a consistent user experience. 
So web stories, just uh, TLDR, right? They're taking existing, that story format that you are used from social world gardens, like Instagram, TikTok, and so on, and Snapchat, I think they were the first. So they're taking this proven user experience and bringing it to the web. And then we're working together with a whole lot of tool makers that create visual tooling to make it easy to create those stories. So we don't actually think that a lot of developers should hand code them. Maybe the biggest platforms that create sort of an automated pipeline to create them, yes. But for the general content creator, they would go into like a Photoshop-like tool to drag those stories together, hit publish, and then ultimately their website, right? So a story is just a website, a glorified website in some ways that has a very clear user experience that relates to what consumers relate to on mobile. The idea of the web stories, is that more of just like a spec and not necessarily like if I want to go create a story, it's not something that is hosted on Google, right? It's more of just like, this is how it would work and how you can implement it. That's right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I was looking and there's, it looks like there's a, um, a web component as a developer I could use to add these stories to my own site, mm -hmm. but I would still be hosting all of the content myself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, however, it's, it's kind of a similar scenario to AMP where okay. these stories all live on your own site. But we have the AMP cache on top of it that accelerates delivery when, let's say, you're opening Google Discover and you're seeing the stories there. They are served from the AMP cache. Again, like all analytics, all the attribution goes back to you as the creator. And like any further link also goes to you. But just to accelerate the delivery, we're still using the AMP cache here. Does the AMP cache work from other search index? Like if I was on DuckDuckGo, mm -hmm. you know, I could discover a story, but would the AMP cache work? It should, right? I mean, if DuckDuckGo, so DuckDuckGo would have the choice to link to the AMP cache. I see. To the AMP cached version of that page. I think they are not doing it right now. Mm -hmm. And in this case, they just link to the story on your own site. It doesn't really matter. It's going to be a little bit slower for that reason, most likely, but it still works. <laughs> Bing has their own AMP cache, for example. So if you search on Bing and you land on an AMP page or a story, then yes, they have their own cache. Everyone can build their own cache. The spec is sort of open. So discovery has to come through Google mostly, right? Like, how, how am I going to find these stories and consume them? Am I going to search for Google for like, hey, Nick Nisi web story or Paul's story? You can. I mean, essentially, it's just a web page. Now, we have a discover carousel on Google Discover where we highlight those stories in a really nice visual way with like a poster. And I think that's a great entry way for discovery. We also highlight them on Google search. What is Google Discover? I'm not familiar Oh, yeah, that, I should clarify this because discovering Google Discover sometimes is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet irony. And we should do a better job. Yeah, we should do a better job here. Google Discover is essentially on iPhone, it's the Google app. So if you open the Google app, you get the stream of feeds. That's Google Discover. Okay. On Android, on the Pixel phones, it's the minus one screen. But again, the Google app is another entry into it. Yeah, that's Google Discover. Okay. Basically, it's a counterpart to search where you don't start with a query. On Google search, you have to know what you're looking for in order to look for something. And on Discover, we're trying to bring content to you that we think you're interested in, but everything is web-based. So all the content there links out to web stuff. That's algorithmically driven, probably. Is there, I don't know, ways to create towards that or to game it in some way? Game is maybe the wrong word. <laughs> yeah, we don't want people to game it. SEO. <laughs> yeah, SEO for Discover is a hot topic. Yeah. You know, we're trying to figure out what the right balance is. How much do we want to reveal mm -hmm. versus how much do we want to make purely consumer algorithmic? And we don't have a solid answer on it yet. 
So we're still working on that part. Yeah. I think one of the things that drives a lot of creators towards more closed platforms is, as Jared said, there's the audience there. Mm -hmm. It can be tough to discover, you know, if I have all of my stories on my website, how do you even know I'm just screaming out into the void over there? Yeah. And I will say that Google used to have this tool that could help with it called Google Reader. (laughs) Maybe you could bring back. Oh man, what a good burn. Yeah. (laughs) No, You know what? We have something in the works that you might like. Oh. That you will hear about in the next couple of months. All right. Break some news for us here, Paul. <laughs> Let us know. Uh, but I cannot break news yet. <sighs> what I will say is that, so uh, Jared, right? You asked about how can stories live on your, how can you discover them? Yeah. And in fact, they're web pages. So nothing stops you from linking to them on your own site. Nothing stops you from having like a carousel experience on your own site. And some people are like thinking, wow, like who's going to do that? That's weird because the experience is so different. Yeah. But in fact, I'll just give you an example here. There's this story to make an agency and like a third party company in France and they call it joint stories. A bunch of clients in France, like big retailers, big websites that now have stories on their sites. And you will be thinking like, well, I mean, that's weird because if you know more about the launch rollout of, you know, discover and search then you would know that we actually haven't launched this Discover Carousel in France. We have launched it so far in the US and in Brazil and in India. And so some people have been asking, like, what's in it for them? And in fact, they just have it on their own website. They have integrated super well into their experience Mm -hmm. and it's working for them. So there's definitely a way to just bring it to your site. We'll have to link to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how does social media play a role beyond the web there? Because if I could create in some sort of tool that I'm sure you're going to tell me about or the tools that those people are creating and post to my own website, but also syndicate that out to other platforms. Like Mm -hmm. then that would be less of a compromise, less screaming into the void because, you know, my website's cool and all, but I probably get like 70 visitors a a month. (laughs) That's a good point. Next probably gets like twice that. So can I post those into Instagram? Can I post those into Twitter stories? What about my LinkedIn stories, which is where... I usually post my stories on LinkedIn. That kind of ties into a question I was going to ask, which is they're just websites and do like open graph tags or similar for other social networks play into that as well? So the answer to that question is yes. Open graph, schema.org, whatever you want. So uh, Twitter card data, right? All of that you can bring in. Yep. So we actually, we've been doing this with our own channel. So with our Instagram account, for instance, for the Google Web Creators program, we have kind of created a, I don't know, maybe, you know, I cheekingly call this Trojan horse. But, you know, we have a story page on Instagram that links to the web story. So you swipe up and you go to the web story. And we think that's a pretty good pattern, actually, to cross-link those. But the other thing that I'm going to call out is that, and this is often a confusion, too, where people ask me, like bloggers ask me, the story that I've just put on Instagram where I just posted what my dog ate for breakfast, right? Should I upload it to my web page now or to my website? (laughs) And the answer to that is no, (laughs) probably not. Like, it's not like we want to turn the web into TikTok. <laughs> I think the web is really great at long-form content, at editorial content, at, like, authoritative content. And I don't think we should change that. I don't, yeah. personally, I don't think we should make it all social media, like the type of content that is on social media. So the story is that we're using the same format, right, for stories. We're using the same kind of tap, tap, tap thing. But we're kind of asking people to create a multi-page story that has a beginning and an end that is a little bit more editorial in many ways. So that's a big difference, I would say. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like more of a stream of consciousness thing. It's like a curated, Yeah. this is what I'm going to see every time. That kind of was going to lead into a question I had. Like I wouldn't create like a 75 page, I don't know what you call them, page story. It would just be like more 
to the point and not necessarily. That's right. Yeah. Just kind of stream of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I was also reading that these don't expire, right? They're, they can be there forever. Yeah. I think the ideal target is somewhere in the like eight to 12 pages long, probably. That's at least the experience that we have. I think at 60 pages, you would lose your readers pretty quickly. But yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So can we get into the like nitty gritty of like, how are these things deployed? Are you, like, is this a special HTML format? Like, what is going on here? And you mentioned that there's tools to create this Photoshop-like tools. So it seems like there's maybe multiple vendors that are already kind of working in this space. But what's the process like from like A to Z if I wanted to go from zero to hero? Yeah, I mean, for everyone in this room, right? For everyone who's technical, who's a web developer, nothing stops you from coding them from scratch. So yes, under the hood, it's just HTML, but it is using the AMP library, the AMP framework. So you pull in the JS library from AMP, and then you use the flavor of HTML that we call AMP HTML. So there's like an AMP story web component, and then there's like AMP grid page and so on. So there's like a bunch of special components that are used to construct the story. And there are certain tags that are not allowed because they kind of destroy the experience. As I mentioned earlier, we don't want to have someone click jack the whole thing, script, etc. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. But in the end, it's HTML and CSS. That's like the backdoor, I would say, power user experience, right? Yeah. The experience that it intended for the everybody, so everybody can make these things, is through GUIs. Yeah, exactly right. We think that is 95% of creators will probably go that route. And there's a bunch of tools out there. I mean, my team has been building our own tool for WordPress called uh, Web Stories for WordPress. Mm -hmm. And then there's also many other third-party ones. There's Make Stories, which is like a self-hosted tool on a platform. There's Newsroom AI. They actually started with other types of stories for other ecosystems and closed apps. And then they also added the Web Story option. So there's plenty of tools available here on stories.google, which is sort of our landing page, marketing landing page. You can find a little bit more of them, but there are many different ways of creating them. Once we create this HTML page in the special format, I'm just deploying it to my site. But like clearly in order for it to get picked up by the AMP cache, is it just, hey, you deployed something that uses AMP framework and therefore when the bots crawl, the bots will pick it up. Like, I mean, how does this work? Yeah, so AMP has this validation system to ensure that, you know, you're creating essentially valid AMP HTML code that doesn't use anything that would break the experience. And so we have the AMP validator on amp.dev that you can use to check whether it's valid AMP. But then there's also on Search Console, there is a web story testing tool, as we call it. And you put it in there and that one is specific to making sure that the web story has the ability to show up on Google in this featured way. Mm. Let's say the Discover Carousel, right? AMP is completely open source, right? You could create a web story and it never appears on Google and no one cares, right? But then Google has a bunch of additional requirements. For instance, it has to have like a poster image and it has to have decent schema.org data with a title and the publisher. So that search console testing tool for web stories checks on those kind of things and also gives you a preview of how it would look like, which is also great. And then, yeah, so you put it on your own server, right? You put it on your own server, you host it on your own server, unless you're using a platform like Make Stories, that's really helpful if you don't have a website then they will host it. But then I would only really recommend that solution, uh, that hosting solution, if you don't have already a website, I would say. Can you mix and match? You can, of course, yeah. What about sharing? Like, 
if you and I were both creating stories, could I somehow highlight your story on my site or in my almost like a blog roll type thing on, on my own platform? Very good question. Blog roll. Bring it back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we have this thing called AMP Story Player, which is a web component okay. that you can pull into any website. And it essentially works like a YouTube embed. So like third party embed where you can either include and embed your own stories or you can include someone's elf story and either create like sort of a carousel experience or you have like a single embed of a story that you put into a blog post and it can be tapped through. So there's multiple options there. But yeah, I would hope for that kind of ecosystem to flourish in that way so that everyone links to each other's stories. I think that would be super cool. Mm. So what about the people who are out there making bank? I mean, influencers. <laughs> it would be great for the open web and for Google if those people were creating web stories in addition to or instead of creating Instagram stories or social media app yeah, stories. Yeah, absolutely. But on those platforms, it's easy for them to monetize. There's lots of tools for them there because web stories is kind of, I don't know if playing catch up is the right term, but like there's a lot of innovation inside of those platforms to make all that stuff really easy, really seamless, constantly improving. Yeah. Are there stories for those features inside of web stories or how does that work? Because I don't think, I mean, it'd be tough to get somebody who's making money posting stories all day to Instagram to come over to the open web if they can't make money for sure somehow or even as easy. This is a great question and something that I think about that keeps me up at night every day because the experience of onboarding someone like that onto the web is almost comically bad. Yeah. It's essentially like on Instagram, the entire experience is completely integrated as an example, right? Right. The app that you consume in, you create in. Going from consumer to creator is super frictionless. How often do you worry about performance optimization on an Instagram post, right? Right. Never, because that whole thing is completely abstracted away from you. And how often do developers for Instagram complain about the fact that they can't do something? Never, because the platform started that way. But then if we take toys away with something like AMP, then the whole web ecosystem goes like, oh my God, I can't drive and drink anymore. My <laughs> blasphemy, right? <laughs> blasphemy. So yeah, I wish we could find good ways of getting there. Yeah. I think it will be a multi-step process going forward too, but we can at least document it and we can help people along the way. One thing we have to start with is speaking the same language because if you are a social media influencer right now, the way you're probably making money is with brand deals, for instance. And that brand deal, what are they going to ask you? Well, they ask you about like, what does your engagement look like? How many followers do you have? And we don't speak the same language on the web. Right. right? On the web, it, you don't have followers. <laughs> you don't have the same, like engagement numbers in the same way, right? So you have to have like an analytics thing going on your site. And then how do you translate that to convince a brand to work with you? I think these are really interesting problems too that we're trying to tackle. Yeah, there's like, it's death of a thousand cuts, maybe. Right. There are so many little things to worry about. And I think we can't just use web stories as a way to get people to the web because then they have a disconnected set of pages on the web, right? Now we have to first convince them, why do they need a website, right? I think this is not completely obvious. One that's not Facebook pages. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'll give you a small example here, right? For instance, on social media, you're creating a post, right? How long is that shelf life of that post? I mean, probably a day or two at maximum. You're creating a blog post and you could make money from this over years to come. And in fact, like the most popular bloggers out there do that. They build up a corpus of content on their blog and then they make revenue over multiple years. Right. I think this is completely not obvious to someone who is a new creator who's starting on social. So like there's just a bunch of these things that we need to tell people, to be frank. Yeah. 
I think that's on point. I think your focus, and of course, you have lots of resources, so you don't have to have a singular focus. I think that in order to get more web creators, I think we should be talking about and focusing on the uniquely awesome things of the web. Absolutely. Instead of, and maybe you do this as well, instead of like copying features of social media apps, I mean, web stories, we also can do that here. And we can do it sort of better in certain ways, but it's going to be worse in lots of ways. But like that, for example, like, hey, you can write something once and make money on it for years to come because of the permanence of the web and the indexability and the value there. Like that's something the web does that the app platform, or excuse me, the social media platforms are completely against because they want you checking the new thing all the time, right? They're not going to persist that forever and pull it up when it's useful. So that's something the web is good at. I think if we could focus on what makes the web awesome, that sells more web creators. You may also have to have these other features too, like, hey, you can do your stories here. Like, of course you can, but what's going to get them to come over from the platforms? And I think yeah. that's a good way to look at it. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. No FOMO on the web. Maybe that's the tagline we need. Because <laughs> <laughs> stories are FOMO inducing. That's the whole thing with stories, right? It's like, oh no, like that's the, the engagement that they use. <laughs> right. These social media companies. It's like, it's going to disappear. You need to like read all the things, you know? <laughs> Like, who cares if your <laughs> wife is having a baby? <laughs> like, right. I know, right? Watch that clip. Yeah. You know? Right. Here's Click another that one. button. Here's another one. Here's yeah, another it's one. disappearing. Anyways, so yeah, no FOMO on the web. It's about your bibliography. <laughs> Yeah. You know, one thing that I just want to call out is that, yeah, there's like two separate goals here. One is to really make the creator experience on the web better, right? To make sure that we can onboard creators to the web for many years to come and that they're successful and that there's enough ROI, right? To use like a businessy term for them to stay on the web and to find it valuable. But then the other goal, and this is also actually really why we think web stories matters, is to make sure that the user experience of the web is not as frustrating as it is today. And it is frustrating, right? I mean, I think you all know this, but the part of the web that is the content web, you're like, you might be landing on one really good blog post and you click on another blog post and you have like a newsletter capture and you have like GDPR dialogues, whatever, right? Like there's like massive plasters of ads. There's so much that has been going wrong over the last couple of years. <laughs> That's something we're trying to control with that web story experience on the consumer side. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's interesting. We're taking one little segment and trying to kind of say, okay, let's do a social experiment and see if this will make the web better, right? But we need lots of efforts like that. But it feels like what we're really missing is like a framework and, you know, like that easy onboarding and like, mm -hmm. it's a really tough competition with native closed source platforms. So there's a lot to mm -hmm. improve here, but we're going to get into kind of the future and folks who are using this stuff and all kinds of other good stuff in the next segment, y'all. So stay tuned. party people if you want to know what's happening with your code track errors and monitor app performance with sentry build better software faster with sentry's application monitoring platform diagnose fix and optimize the performance of your code cut your time on error resolution from hours to minutes it works with any language and integrates with dozens of services over 1 million developers and 68,000 organizations already use Sentry. And best of all, GS Party listeners new to Sentry get the team plan for free for three months. Head to Sentry.io to get started and use the code PARTYTIME when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code PARTYTIME because, hey, it's party time, y'all. 
Alrighty, everyone, we're back. So how many times do y'all think we've said stories in the past like, <laughs> 30, 40 minutes? Probably quite a bit. We own the content so we can go back and check. That's right. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Closest person who predicts it wins nothing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wins the validation of being right. So we can kind of broaden this a little bit because there's kind of more to this web creator story. Like, uh, sorry. Yeah, no pun intended, actually. Say it again. There's more to this web creator story. <laughs> than just web stories, right? Right. Like most interesting things for me and something that I've been talking about for a while and we'll drop some clips here in a minute to show that I sort of predicted the future that we'd be having this conversation. But I really care about democratizing who's pushing to the web and not just folks that are employed, not just folks who are, you know, from Western countries, right? We need more people pushing to the web, not just pulling it, right? This movement really feels like it's opening that door for higher quality content from more people, hopefully. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like this project has been going on for a few months now. It's fairly new, about seven months. What's the reach been like? Are you seeing the push in the right way that way with like new creators coming on the web? Yeah, great question. I think we're, it's too early to tell, to be honest, because we're still in our first baby steps to grow those new channels and initiatives. But everything you're saying is exactly what I'm trying to do. And to be honest, this has been kind of my, has been the kind of reason for why I've started a lot of things over the last couple of years. You know, in a previous life, I don't know if you're still familiar with this part of my journey, but I worked on jQuery and jQuery UI. Oh, nice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. So when I started the jQuery UI project, you know, we got like so many haters back then who are like, oh, no, no, this is not the way you should do JavaScript. And don't you mean action script? Like, come on. Okay. Nah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, like the point was never to make the most fastest framework, right? Or the, the most elegant framework. But the point was to open a path for more people to build stuff. And so for the first time, web designers could build things. <laughs> And it made me so supremely happy that that was the case. I call this anti-gatekeeping and I'm still on that train. The whole reason why I started this Google Web Creators program is basically because of that. I think we need more diverse voices on the web that succeed. And this is super, super important to me. So a part of this is that we simply haven't helped the existing bloggers too, right? So as I called out and we need to help them. But yeah, like the web story thing is just one of many things. It's like, if you are a non-technical creator today on the web, like, where do you go to get help? I mean, sure, there are other bloggers who help bloggers, and that's great, but many of them have monetary incentives too, right? So they're trying to upsell you to courses, they're trying to do it for their own means often too. And not, I know not everyone is doing this, but I feel like we can help you to be an objective voice and to partner with the ecosystem in ways that maybe individuals cannot do. And we're doing sort of a hybrid. So for instance, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm contracting a bunch of actual successful bloggers that are really good in their industry, let's say food or fashion or whatever. And you're going to see uh, YouTube shows from them on our channels. So that's coming soon. And this is completely unrelated to web stories, right? This is really about content creation on the web in general. Ironically, right? Or interestingly, also unrelated to Google. <laughs> All right. So they're not going to upsell any Google technologies in those episodes because who cares? Like, if I convince someone to start blogging on the web and they use no Google Analytics and no Google Ads and nothing, we still win. So that's the really cool thing of it because it's a net benefit to the web. It's a net benefit to Google mm -hmm. for the search engine. Yeah. So 
yeah, that's kind of the train I'm on. I'm just really happy that we have a big giant that has their incentives generally in the right direction, right? Because the opposite could easily happen, right? Like somebody shifts the goal and all of a sudden, like we're doing more DRM stuff, right? And so, so I'm so I'm glad that mm-hmm. the focus is in the right direction. And I can't wait to see what else kind of comes out of this project, like besides web stories. Google Reader too. We already heard about it. Google Reader too. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. Confirmed on the show. Yeah, well, don't expect, <laughs> don't expect too much. But yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting though because RSS is like a technology that is like so pro web, right? Like if I can syndicate my writing to yeah. people who, I mean, that's a follow, isn't it? Like you're subscribed to my RSS. That's like social media predating Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's such a shame that it, I mean it's useful. I mean we we syndicate podcasts that way. There's mm. I still read RSS feed. That's how I consume. I subscribe to bloggers. I got Nick's blog. Just waiting for him to write that next post. You know, as soon as he does, it's going to come right into my reader. I think that's one way. So to refactor the whole site. <laughs> yeah, he's got to rewrite his site and then he'll have his next post. I really think it's like such a great tool. I completely agree with that. I mean, I wish it was just more discoverable. Maybe put that at the front of Google Discover and then we'll, <laughs> we'll all be happy. This is so true. So I will say, without being able to disclose too much, but I will say we're firm believers in RSS. So, okay. you know, I'll leave it at that for now. Also, on a personal level, I think the fact that you see all of those newsletter platforms pop up right? Yeah. You have like Substack, you have all the others, right? Mm -hmm. And so many creators now think that they need to have a newsletter. I think that's not coincidence. Yeah. Good point. It's basically a cry for help. It's a desperate cry for help because the web isn't doing this right. Right. And I think this is really unfortunate. Like we don't have this kind of pop sub model that people really need, right? Like they want to essentially break out of the like feed-like algorithm to really build a meaningful connection to their audience. Right. And they can only do that with email, which is so sad because there's not a lot of innovation in email either. There's so many things you can't do with email. So like, why can we not give them that on the web? I think that's super important. Yeah, you know, I have to say that's like the communities piece is probably one of the weakest parts of the web, right? All of those things exist within spheres that are outside of the web protocol. And so I'm curious, like, Mm -hmm. you know, with this kind of web 3.0 decentralized web, blockchain, 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 right? Permissionless, whatever, right? Access to apps and being able to kind of do permissionless verification, which is like, I think like the coolest thing ever. Jared, we should do a show on that and JS Party, like that'd be great. I'm curious, like, do we think that there's a future for better web content through like, can we push this communities factor, like an engagement factor and, you know, through tools like blockchain-based tech? I'm just curious. Good question. I don't know. Maybe. I guess I'm no... People are able to identify their posses in an easier way or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's something there. You know, I I would be lying if I said I'm an expert here. You know, I've been befalling the NFT craze, right? but that's that's about it. I think there's definitely, I mean, the more different things we try, you know, the more innovation happens. So there's definitely people trying to do those things. I mean, in the good old days, like you had a forum, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to use a blockchain example, you had your Bitcoin talk which was their own website, right? And they had a forum on there and like that's where you'd have your tribe was on Bitcoin talk. Well, maybe that's still going, but like now everything's just on Reddit. So it's like Reddit took over forums and forums was a big part of community, I think. And maybe we're talking about slightly different things here, ML, but I feel like forums that were hosted on people's own websites and they would moderate their own forums was like working pretty well. But maybe again, the tooling, the moderation tools trouble with spam, like things that happened where if you had a centralized entity like Reddit helping you out, although they got all sorts of problems over there too. Mm -hmm. 
they become attractive. And you can also build your audience because, you know, if I'm on this subreddit, I hop over to that subreddit, now I'm on both. It's nice as a user. So yeah, yeah, that's a hard problem. Yeah, and I think there's a theme here. Yeah, I think there's a theme here too for the individual creators, which is that if you talk to a content creator, all of them will say that they want community and they want to have something like a forum and they want. So most of them, for instance, they use things like Discord now, right? Right. To do this, they want all of those things, but you know what they want most? They want to create content. And so everyone I talk to are saying the same thing here, which is. Just let me create content, but 80% of my day is focused on all the stuff around it. And this is a huge problem, right? If you need to fight the trolls and counter attacks from everywhere, like do your taxes. And there are so many aspects of being a creator yeah. that are not about creating content. And I think anything we can do as a platform and as a web community to do this, to make this easier would be amazing. Yeah, we need like frameworks for content authorship, like making it easy to go from zero to hero, you know, without blocking power users, right? So just like a ramp. Seems like Google would be in a great position to make something like that, Paul, for what it's worth. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I think so. You know, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying to do something here. I think there's also the challenge here, right, that the web means something else to everyone. You know, the web is such a, is a beautiful thing about the web that it's mm -hmm. a content platform, but also an application platform and also, you know, to some a social platform and so on. I don't know. Like, I feel like we're doing moderately well, as I mentioned earlier, we're doing moderately well when it comes to the application web, right? Like if you think about how easy it is to switch your laptop now versus how difficult it was in the 90s, right? Most of the apps that you're probably using day to day now run in the browser. Right. I think that's a huge success story for the web. But then if you would have asked someone in the 90s, Where's the best place to create content? Everyone would have said the web. 2000s too, mm -hmm. right? Nowadays, you will not get that answer anymore for most people. Yeah, it's like, it's a different slice of the web, right? So I can't say the web is unsuccessful in general. It's just this slice of the web I'm worried about and I want to I embrace. Yeah, it feels like we're paying for missed, like years of lack of innovation, you know? Mobile spaces were just innovating at like faster paces and just way ahead. And we just weren't really thinking that way. We, we, there's a lot of catch up to do, which really sucks because there's a whole generation of kids that are growing up, like not even using browsers, folks like my brother's age and like, you know, he's a lot younger than I am. Like everything is app based, everything, everything like their, their whole world, you know, some folks I'm like, do y'all know how to like attach something to an email? <laughs> like, like there's so little that they do, like they really know how to use apps, but I don't mm -hmm. like, do they know how to like properly search on the web or like use, you know, are they power users of the web? No. I, are they power users of apps? Hell yeah. Right. It's not a talent issue. Like you see these brilliant kids like creating complex Oscar worthy videos on TikTok, you know, <laughs> it's not a talent gap, right? It's just that the platforms that are in front of these folks, the stuff that's there, you know, and that works well, that's integrated, that's like all in one, don't think about it, zero to hero, right? Like, are these native apps? We're just really behind on like yeah. that whole experience creation and aggregation on the web. Well, they're compelling platforms. And, you know, if you're getting what you want out of it, which a young person who's created an Oscar worthy video on TikTok is getting what they want, which is like people to consume that and enjoy it and like all the feedback that you get. But they aren't seeing the long game. I mean, it's kind of like owning real estate. I mean, I think really with the web, it's like own your content, own your own domain. Don't, you know, control your own stuff. Sure, syndicate it out. But I think some of us have to get, unfortunately, bit by that, you know, when TikTok comes and sweeps the rug out from underneath somebody or YouTube does or, you know, all these platforms, eventually the platform's desires clash with the 
creator's desires at some point and in many different ways. Fine. And I think sometimes you have to learn that lesson the hard way and be like, okay. And that's when the web's there for you. It's like, hey, remember when you could just have, you know, your Gmail account is compromised, but I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I use gmail.com. I don't have my own. Nick at nisi.org. See, he's doing it right. I'm doing it wrong. I'm at Gmail. That's Gmail though. But you own that Nick at Nick Nisi, right? Or Nick at Nisi. So yeah, you're using Gmail as your provider, but that doesn't really matter. You could sweep that out mm-hmm. and not change your email address with a bunch of people. Like that's smart. My personal email, if I decide I don't want Gmail anymore, I got to go like change all my contacts. I'm like, by the way, I got a new email address like a dork because I wasn't smart that way. Well, that's going to happen on these platforms. Like all of a sudden your audience is gone on TikTok and you're like, wait a second. I built that audience, right? Yep. And you can get booted. That's why, like Paul said, people are doing these email newsletters because at least with that, you have the direct relationship with a person's email. And so sometimes you actually have to learn the hard way. Yeah. I mean, for the browser thing too, right? I mean, I wish that was a surprise that, you know, kids today don't really get it anymore. But no, it's not a surprise because, I mean, the browser is a gateway to the web, right? That's what the browser is. It's an empty shell and the web makes it awesome. If you don't understand what's valuable about the web, and why download that empty gateway? If you are a kid today and you get a phone as your first computing platform, then everything that you put on your home screen needs to deserve its place, right? It has to have value on its own. And the browser in itself doesn't provide value. It's the web and all the content that you get in there that provides the value. Pun intended, right? If you don't tell that story the right way, right. then that's not great. <laughs> Couldn't have said it any better, Paul. It's such a compelling story. We got a tough fight ahead of us uh, as web folks, you know, <laughs> got to like make this platform relevant and compelling and more engaging and more organized and like, you know, keep it open. More and discoverable. Mm-hmm. Discoverable. Right, right. Yeah. If I could design like a curriculum for middle school or uh, elementary, middle school and high school students, like here's what you need to know about the web, you know, everything from security to like why native apps are at times predatory, you know, <laughs> like. Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's security issues. And if I could do that, I think, I think the world would be a better place. Maybe that's what we should do. We should like put like lobby for uh, standard web education curriculums, like to be around the world. I I don't know how else we would tackle this problem, to be honest. Education seems to be the only way, you know, that and like, obviously Timothy Chalamet, you know, so (laughs) (laughs) here I am with three, I think probably cisgendered men who are like, maybe not as excited about Timothy Chalamet as uh, I am. Anyone who's who knows who Timothy Chalamet is? I'm a fangirl, so. <laughs> I don't even know the story. So. You know, one thing that I will say to this is that I guess if I have one ask to the web developer community in that whole quest, right, it would be to be willing to come to the table to make compromises, needed compromises as a platform to become relevant again. And I think not all of us are. Maybe the folks in this podcast are, right? <laughs> But not all of us are. I made this metaphor earlier, right? Like with the drunk driver. But I think I think this is something that I'm seeing over and over. Like people are trying to keep the old web alive, not willing to make compromises. It's like you're in an NGO, right? And you have you're a doctor and you have this patient and you know, you can either amputate the leg or not. And so do you help them survive by compromising? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> And so this is my plea, I guess, to the web developer community to come to the table with open eyes and open arms and really think about what we need to do to make the platform 
fast, user-friendly for creators and consumers. That's right. Get all that JavaScript out of your bundles, kids, is basically what Paul was trying to say. <laughs> I didn't want to say it explicitly, but yes. Not just that, you know, fix your CSS, you know, yada, 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 yada. Oh, and anyways, there's so much wrong, yeah. and it's not just on web developers. It's really the, everybody involved with the process. It's product owners, it's designers, it's, you know, it's everybody, um, you know, working on accessibility and localization, internationalization. Like, there's so much to push here, so... But thank you, Paul. We could talk about this forever. It's been such a pleasure. You're hiring for your team. I mm -hmm. just want to plug um, anybody who's interested in working with Paul. I think earlier I said you were a developer. I think you're the head of the developer advocate program or something like that. Like you're like a honcho person. But if you want to work with Paul as a developer advocate, working on issues like this, pushing forward these really critical ideas for like the greatest thing that we've ever created as people on this earth, like the web is like our best invention, in my opinion. We'll put a link to the open job role in the show notes so you can check it out. And thank you so much for your time, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. And you know, this role is kind of unique because it's a creator advocate, right? So we're doing everything that's cool about DevRel, but with a different audience in mind. So I'm quite excited to go bigger on that journey. Can the title be like web savior? I feel like if I got this job, I'd be like the first thing I'd want to <laughs> negotiate is my title. I'd be like, listen. That would be awesome. This developer advocate thing, you know, I feel like web savior is really just so much cooler on LinkedIn, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for a more dope web. Right, yeah. you got it. Web savior for a more dope web. <laughs> All right, with that said, episode number 174 is a wrap, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of JS Party. If you enjoy the show, please do share it with a friend. Personal recommendations are the number one way people find new podcasts they love. JS Party is produced by Jared Santo, that's me, with music by The Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks again to our sponsors, Fastly, LaunchDarkly, and of course, Linode. Next up on the pod, Patrick Ecker from the Rescript Association joins Faras and I to tell us all about Rescript. What is that, you say? It's the JavaScript-like language you've been waiting for. Stay tuned for that one. It'll be ready for you next week. Jared, thank you for the pivot. I like you. You like me? Yeah. You saved our butt. <laughs> I like you. I like you too. We're gonna we're in that nerd spiral, you know. That's right. We kind of so we you can saved do that us. sometimes. So yeah. well, I'm a show savior. That's what you can call me now. <laughs> you got it. Show savior. <laughs> I'm over here Googling Timothy Chalamet. I'm like, <laughs> I'm such a dork. I don't know anybody. Oh my god, he's like this like beautiful boy. How do you know? Oh my god, you all felt like you I know, don't maybe we watch. should just edit that out. I don't know. Cause like y'all didn't laugh. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I didn't know people, who he was. People with like I haven't seen Interstellar. Any teenage, you know. Parents of teenagers, job. boys or girls. Yeah, everybody loves Timothy Chalamet. Like gender, sexual orientation, all of really. That. He's this like really Paul's really like good-looking yeah. little kid. I I love Timothy. Little Chalamet. kid, he's Maybe. he's twenty-five. Okay, I guess I've like known him <laughs> since he was a little kid. I feel like, okay. but yeah, you're right. I he looks he looks really young. I'm I know that because I'm on his Wikipedia page. Oh wow, wow, yeah. He's a lot older. Now I'm really curious. I'm gonna Google this afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Googling web lover or whatever you're doing. <laughs> web lovers. <laughs> 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 <laughs>